Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade, here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friends and colleagues, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg and the Reverend Professor Jason Oakland. Um, we are going to be continuing, uh, this will be a two-part series, I don't think we're going to do more than two parts. No, so this will be cut ourselves traditional off. Traditional synodical conference sermon, two parts. Two parts. Two. Although I would say that's like <laughs> 80s, 90s. Yeah, Probably before that, you had three or four parts. I was going to say, if you're talking true traditional, I think back to the early days of a synodical conference, I think you're talking three-parters. Yeah. Um, um, are we down to one part now? Like just the Yeah, ceremony? I preach no parts. I, I, I <laughs> never, ever, ever, that when I got in the parish, ever did a two-part sermon. I, I might have, like when I got invited places and they asked, well, what are your theme and parts? But then I think I ignored them. But so, they needed that in the bulletin. Right, so no one, like somebody... Like I guess preach somewhere like, what's your theme or still theme and parts sometimes, or what's your theme and then I just make something up and completely ignore it. Like nobody pays attention to that <laughs> at all. But it's a d- although Michael, you get upset when I joke in chapel that our our theme for the day, which I'll be ignoring, is yeah. Because <laughs> you just it's just I would you're sending me. I would rather you just ignore it. Oh okay. Instead of telling me that you're going to ignore it because <laughs> it's not really ignoring it. Well, I don't want them to be focusing on what they think I'm going to talk yeah. about. and then I. Um, but it is, th- that's, to on a serious note, we've talked about this before, that that comes from a very modern didactic way of thinking about the sermon. Instead of the word of God going out and doing something, it is something you learn and then and then digest, and then it changes your life in sort of a, a head, head, head way, an academic way. Yeah, uh, and that's not to say you can't have a good no, theme sure. park sermon. It's just that if, if that becomes the only way you do it, you're kind of forcing each text yeah. into, you know. And I think it's a good way to sometimes. Jason's the, getting uncomfortable. Over sometimes here. the texts, <laughs> like we're, like we're heterodox. Like, no. We're heterodox <laughs> without the yeah. theme. Um, sometimes this works, sometimes this doesn't, but. So, but there are, it's very often, at least as a good starting point to say, maybe there is a structure that the text has itself. or Built into itself. it, yeah. yeah. Or I, it's just very that would narrative. Be, that new. would be textual. Yeah. yeah. I think that, that the text governs that. I also think you have to be aware of your, um, your own skills as a preacher or maybe lack thereof. Like what... what you can. What are your you, individual strengths and weaknesses? Right. Yeah. The, to say that, you know, if you may be a, a phenomenal didactic theme and parts type of preacher, um, then maybe like first person narratives are not probably the place you want to go just because um, it'll come off as hokey. And, uh, mm-hmm. but there are other people that pre- can preach narrative sermons so well that if you try to force them in or, or some other style, I mean, you have, so I think I agree that the text should, should kind of point you in that direction, but sometimes you have to, you know, Ganothi set out ton type of thing. Know, know thyself. And I think that probably, you know, we're being critical here, but you had to start somewhere, right? Theme of is a great place to start. I do think though, I think we're all agree that you tend to grow out of it a little bit. It may still be a structure, but Hopefully you grow out of it a little bit. Yeah, I think knowing, the with, knowing your strengths and weaknesses. The other thing yeah. with theme and parts that probably um, I think we've probably lamented for a decade or more, Dave or Michael is the and not James because he <laughs> so he's he doesn't have deep conversations with me. But um, is it, it the, <laughs> by, J, yeah, by James you're referring to Jason? 
Yes. Because. Because <laughs> at faculty day, or provost day, um, they were mentioning, they were actually trying to um, give props, but the provost pointed out that on the masthead of the theological journal that Jason is an editor of, um, he was accidentally listed as James Oakland. <laughs> and so now I would say uh, more than a few faculty yeah, I have g- taken to calling him James. Yep, I get you. I think that there are some that think that really was my name. So. <laughs> anyway, James is Jason. Go ahead. Right. So, uh, but I think, Michael, and I, we've talked about this before. The temptation also becomes if you're doing a theme in two parts, like once it gets down to two, and maybe three is even more dangerous, but um, is that part one's law, part mm-hmm. two's gospel. And so, like, it becomes uh, this very formulaic sermon, too. Not that, like, that's a bad approach to have law and then gospel, but it's like forcing, okay, now I got to force here. And, and sometimes you get to like an Easter sermon and there just might be a lot of gospel. Yeah. You get to like a Good Friday and there might be a lot of law and there's going to be law and gospel in both. But, you know, this need to like, I need to, to 50-50 it, the, the even biggest, bigger danger. So maybe this is good that the three-part sermon isn't around as much anymore. Hmm. It would be to go law, gospel. Law. The, the gospel, the old gospel yep. sandwich. Yep. Let, yep. Me, let me give and I'll take away. Yep. <laughs> and um, um, well, but we should stop here. Yeah, this is not our topic for today. Yeah. Let's, let's just say that we believe, and this is going to sound harsh, but we do believe that like there's maybe a crisis in preaching in the modern church right now. Yeah. It's not great. Yeah, and I, I would say too, to be fair to theme and parts, if that helps you like organize your thoughts and be direct and like give people the word in a in an intelligible way, um, then so, do that yeah, because so, there is there. One of my favorite preachers, and you've seen his manuscripts. We won't say who he is unless you want to say who he is. But he's like sent sermons for us to look at. What do you guys think? And he'll have like crazy outlines, like three D E, you know. You know who I'm talking no, about? No, I don't. You know who I'm talking about. I don't. Nobody's <laughs> ever sent me a sermon to look at. Bro, we used to email sermons all the time back in the day. Not me. Nobody emailed me anything. Yeah. Uh, me, you, a pastor in Salt Lake City, a pastor yeah, in Maguanago. Yeah, I, don't, I don't remember being a part of that. <laughs> Maybe. I don't remember being a part of that. Uh, pastor, probably in Lamira now was yeah, in there. I never sent you anything. You know who wasn't in there? James, because we yeah. so, knew it was going to be to, to your point, <laughs> so, <laughs> so the, the listener who have for 30 years faithfully listened to two-part sermons, give the dude a break because it's like, yeah. okay, then here's part one. And don't not one. read Walther because you look at it and it's two or three parts. Right. But, him. but as much as you want to give that guy a break from like, I know what's coming next. Are we to part two yet? What would be worse is a disjointed, disorganized mess. Ain't nothing worse than that. Way. Exactly. That is... Downright torment. That's that's unprofessional. That's a preacher's purgatory. Unprofessional. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, what are we talking about today? The. Uh, <laughs> right. I just censored myself. Very you good. proud of me? <laughs> you would have liked it. It's a, it's an after thing. Okay. Well, I'm going to say after. Why won't you get through it so okay. we can take a break? Um. Oh yeah. Well, I was going to tell you. I was going to say so. I didn't Helmut. Forget. Yes. So we're going to be doing part two. That was a seven-minute rant we had. <laughs> That was a good rant, though. It I was. Mean, it felt good. Good rant, good topic. Um, <laughs> so we're going to be doing part two of a book that, again, um, as the show notes from the last episode said, and we said in the last episode, and we'll say now, um, a little exercise for young theologians. This doesn't have to be for uh, theologians who are, like, want to be professors or pastors. 
um, really every Christian could benefit from this. I think especially in the day of social media, like theology Twitter, anyone who wants to like tweet theologically, this would be a good book as well. But a little exercise for young theologians. And we have an expert at pronouncing this name. So we want to make sure we're saying it right. So we're going to toss it to my boy James. Uh, this book is by... Helmut Tielicke. Very good. Like so it looks okay, like we'll go back to him Jason Thiel Ick E. Yeah. Right? But Tielicke. He looks I so happy when he says it too, doesn't he? Uh, you know, when you get, you know, just that German sprach. But the book is, is all said and done. We're talking 74 pages. Well worth your time. Um, we got up through about chapter five last time, which gets us to the chapters that I believe both Mike and Jason said they had the most marked in the second half. Yep. I think I, I had a fair amount early on. And I'll say you have the overachieving version because the we're version that 40. Mike and I have, we're only 40-some pages. But so, Oh, mine has the preface by Martin Marty. Yep. Um, your guys' yeah, covers, though, so. are better. Like, I, I know some people rag on like the 70s, but that has total 70s book cover vibes. Oh, yeah, it does, and I'm yep. a big fan of like that era of book covers. Would you you guys disagree or not? Or? It's okay. Yeah. I, I, just, I like it. It seems kind of classic. Like, I like going back probably a little earlier than the than the '70s look. If if I had to take my pick, but it and I'm asthmatic, so I I don't do this. But it almost makes me like those types of covers make me want to sit in like a nice reading chair with a cigarette and a brandy mm-hmm. and contemplate. What about a cigar and whiskey? Would that also work? Yeah, but I think more like '70s vibe. '70s, would oh, be, yeah. No, I would get, be the cigarette. Yep, I think I'm feeling you there. Yep, cigarette and brandy. Yeah, but I, I'd have to have my inhaler right hand. <laughs> this show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time it probably doesn't speak for us. We'll be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. Recruiting studio on Thursday, <laughs> September 15th. Who are we recruiting? <laughs> recording studio on Thursday, September 15th. On middle of September. Hold on, we have some prospective students coming down the yeah. hall that want <laughs> right. to meet with the theology yes. department. <laughs> the, uh, and uh, I have to teach at 1230. So we have to stay focused, and I feel like we've really done well mm-hmm. with that so far. Mm-hmm. Although I'll say, that's one of the more fun intros we've had in a while. Yeah, so that was a good one. Here. I feel... I feel better, gentlemen. I just, I, yeah. my day, I, I feel hopeful. Um, and so, the, uh, I censored myself again. I'll message you guys what I was going to say. Um, but uh, go ahead. We decided Michael would start us off. Go ahead and toss out an, uh, an insight for us, Michael. Okay, so uh, he's talking about the young theologian's conceit. So he actually is talking about like a young pastor being uh thrust on onto a parish and i think uh 
there was a lot of wise old par, uh, parish pastors who would say stuff like this that, um, and would say it not to be mean, but um, that young pastors, uh, you know, are inflicted upon the, <laughs> the, the congregation, right? I mean, there's, and we've said this many times that the congregation is the best tutor. Uh, and you, pastors of any age can be inflicted upon. Right. I have been inflicted yeah. upon a congregation. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm but, inflicted upon a department. I think you guys yeah, would both agree. Yeah. Oh, so, but, yes. but you do worry about like you send, you send a guy out and sometimes you think, oh, poor them rather than poor pastor. Right. So I, I think that's kind of the vibe he's after a little bit here. Um, but he would, I'm, I'm going to bring up in this first paragraph in chapter six, which is titled Pathology of the Young Theologian's Conceit. He makes a, a little bit of a, a, a connection with Gnosticism that I'd like to discuss. It is possible, and laymen have a very exact perception in regard to this, right? So notice the laymen who have been through stuff know this. That theology makes the young theologian vain. So let me repeat that. It is possible that theology makes the young theologian vain, and the layman is is attuned to that. Theology makes the young theologian vain, and so kindles in him something like Gnostic pride. The chief reason for this is that in us men, truth and love are seldom combined. So what we mean, what he means by Gnostic pride there is, for Gnosticism, um, there are certain people that, who have a special knowledge, gnosis, right? Where we get the Gnostis from, the, the name Gnosticism from. And this is the spiritual elite. And so whether it may, you know, whether it's Gnosticism or not, there's always that idea of the spiritual elite, right? Maybe it becomes you are born again. Like somebody is, every time they meet somebody, they're not just Christian, they're born-again Christian, and mm -hmm. yep. um, uh, true Christian, right? Not like Catholic, or we're not sure about the Lutherans. Or you can get somebody, uh, you know, has this mystical connection. Uh, I'm relig I'm spiritual, not religious. And pietism, uh, and even in some of our synodical conference orthodoxy, uh, there'd be sometimes maybe a little bit too much true hearts. Yeah, you know, yeah. kind of talk. And so. One other way of that is is a head thing where I I have all this theological knowledge, right? Uh, I think all three of us probably would very quickly, if we thought about this, would be thinking about uh, Bo Geertz and his novels, right? His novellas, right? The young pastors who have all the head knowledge but have no clue about actual theology, they right? They come in thinking they have it all figured out, then the parish tests them, yeah. The second line that I think is important there, uh, so, so the Gnostic pride, the reference there is, I have this special knowledge, right? Um, the chief reason for this is that in us men, truth and love are seldom combined. And I, I think that there is a thought about this a little bit, but I think there, there needs to be more work on this from a Christological point of view, that very often, especially, let's say, uh, mid to late century of the, of the 20th century, love versus truth, right? We're on the side of truth. Somebody else is on the side of love. And how does that come together? So we get this played out. When do we discipline somebody rather than show love to them? Um, and it almost seems like a law gospel sort of distinction. Um, and then 
people come back, no, it, to fight for truth, that is actually loving. And then people say back like, well, then why are you such a jerk? <laughs> right? Like, you know, you're, yep. this, this is honestly about you being act, as we say. You're being right. And, and I so, would just point out that when Mike said, why are you such a jerk? He looked at he James. He looked at James. <laughs> <laughs> um, because there was a wink, wink. James, oh, that wink. guy over <laughs> right. there. James is taking a beating. Yeah. I, no, I would note, too, just for the listener, that above James on the back of the door to the podcast <laughs> studio, um, if anybody ever wants to Google our esteemed colleague, uh, Jason Oakland, um, WLC, his faculty profile picture is up on the back of the we, door. We will, we will just, we would both agree. That James in person is a better looking man. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's haunting. It's not a good picture. <laughs> I will fully agree to that. <laughs> anyway. It looks uh, like he just saw light for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> coming coming out of the cave. Coming out of the yeah. cave. So any, anyway, anyway, what were we talking about? Oh, the, I think there's a Christological uh, connection here, which I, I And not being a jerk with law gospel. Yeah, I which I, I don't think I've fully thought through and don't know that if I'll, I'll have the brain power to do it. But God is love and he is truth. So when we divide love and truth, it seems to be akin to dividing Christ up, and that's a big no-no, right? Yeah. So this playing against truth and love, playing against each other, um, how the, it's just there's something wrong with that, right? And, and I think this is what he's after in a broken world seldom if ever is love and truth combined together you could be loving in the sense like we don't care what you believe i just be nice to you but that isn't really loving is it and you can be all about truth right but nobody ever got into heaven by knowing that there was uh, god created the heavens and or by nobody whatever or you really got predestination down great um, I, this is in the apologetics realm too. Like people on both sides of a certain argument, this is a good argument. This is a bad argument. You can't argue somebody into faith. You should blah blah blah. And and I just go, I don't want to send. I would never send a skeptical friend to you at all, even though you're an expert in this. Right? There's no <laughs> sense of yeah. You may be right that this argument's good or this argument's bad or that whatever. Like I would never send a troubled soul to you. Right? So I wonder if there's just a Christological connection. Maybe I'm making too much of this, but uh, when I see love and truth, that's where my mind goes now. I'm digging this, Michael, and uh, it brings to mind, so in Christ and culture, we're going through Luke's gospel. We kind of do that at the beginning, um, and we do it somewhat quickly because I want them to get like big picture impression of this this Jesus that Luke is presenting to the Gentile reader. And because uh, uh, my class is it's primarily Goyim, right? And... Um, but one of the things that stands out to me is, is how often in Luke's gospel Jesus gets attacked for like Sabbath stuff or like lawyer stuff. And really it goes back to Genesis and Adam and Eve kind of add to God's command regarding the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That God says don't eat of it and they add don't even touch it. Touch it. Um, and that's not a bad, you kind of wish they had stuck by that because you, you're not going to eat it if you don't touch it. But then you get to Jesus in the Sabbath, and the teachers of the law had added so much regarding the Sabbath of what entailed work, and you know, so Jesus intentionally heals where they can see, or he says, "Who, if your if your ox fell in the ditch, wouldn't pull the ox out um, on the Sabbath day?" And I think Jesus is teaching something there because those those like intensifying the commandment 
can be done with good intentions, right? Like, don't even get close to this. Like, this is... Don't even utter the tetragrammaton. Yes, yeah. yeah. Because, you know, incremental stuff, uh, the slippery slope argument, yes, can be a fallacy, but um, it does play out that way often in life. We've all seen that. I mean, you know, I kind of talk to students about, you know, you can probably remember the first time you cussed on the playground as a kid where... You looked around to make sure, you know, your friends were there, but not the teachers. And and then now some of us are so good that someone cuts us off in traffic. And without even thinking, we can string words together, um, you know, in a very... Uh, that make no grammatical sense. Yeah, in just a <laughs> uh, colorful way. And it just gets easier with time. And so it makes sense they'd have these, these hedges. And yet Jesus, I think one of the things that comes out in those lessons and I was talking about with the students is notice how Jesus every in all these accounts seem to be saying yeah but mercy trumps that and then right these accounts he keeps having these encounters lead up to to chapter 15 where it's like the in in each each account everything is forgotten except the thing that's lost with the most scandalous story which we don't necessarily read as being scandalous but would have been at the time of the prodigal son, right? This that this father and the younger son would have got canceled on social media <laughs> for how they behave here. And and yet um I think Luke is getting at that tension of like, okay, here's here's truth, protect the truth. And and, and those laws we're trying to do that as a hedge. But here's love or mercy, and Christ's sake especially mercy. And uh and that tension and and that is is something that I'll hit first on parish, but I think it applies to all lady and, and anyone who's carrying out their vocation. Um, a big part of being in the parish was learning sometimes just don't react to that thing now, right? Even when you wanted to correct something. Yep. Yes, it's, you know, someone just lost a loved one and someone said, oh, they're an angel now. Don't correct them and say <laughs> that would, that would be a demotion. You know, um, man is the crown of creation. Um, Someone just brought up this sin in the midst of talking about this other thing. Leave it for now. Let's let's stay here and in mercy listen um, and show this person why in Christ we care about that other thing that may come up later. Can I, to this point, can I read yep. a quote from here? I, I, I hope you can, yes. <laughs> I do that all the time when someone's like, can I go to the bathroom? Yeah. At your age, I, I should yeah, so. sure anyway, hope so. Uh, this young theologian, he is studying Christology, which means that he is busying himself with the savior of sinners and the brother of the lost. In connection with this, he learns, shall we say, the Chalcedonian formula and the form history of the synoptics. And in possession of this truth, he despises, of course, in the most sublime way, the people who as simple Christians pray to the savior of sinners and cling to each of his, even perhaps legendary miracles, right? So this is from a different different era and stuff like that. But the point here is, this guy thinks he knows all of it. Thinking about Europe at this, you know, mid-century, like, oh, do we know this? He's got all of the. He's he's studied all of this deep sort of uh, form criticism and all this kind of stuff, and he looks down and even despises. Um, the member of his who simply prays and trusts, right? Yeah, That's yeah. kind of what you're after. Yeah, a yeah. and and so this is not just a pastor thing. This is a parenting thing. This is a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, learning how to have relationships thing. This is a friendship thing that there's just times to learn. Um, 
every moment is a truth and mercy moment. That's the tension of living in a fallen world. Um, that there, I mean, you're never going to run out of need for truth and mercy in a fallen world. And but what what is going to predominate um, in that moment? He speaks to the, you know the source of that tension too, where he says, you know, truth is about acquiring acquiring knowledge and and possessing the information, right? But and the, and then it's easy to kind of get puffed up about that possession, right? That, uh, that hey, I've I've acquired this, I've I've checked the boxes, and you know I know what's right and what's wrong. But love, on the other hand, if you're love isn't about acquiring, at least not love in the true truest highest form, biblical right. form, it's right? It's, it's giving, right? Yeah. It's self-giving, and to say that you can see why there's tension there, right? That that truth and truth and love would be in tension if you if you kind of think about it yeah. like that, and how easy it is to kind of get caught up in that tension yep. and on I, one now, side or the other. There's an important thing I want to come back to over here in a second, so make sure I do. But I, I would like to give credit to um, to two people, to Martin Luther and to Michael Berg, um, for um, increasingly with time, I've also just learned to take a step back. And when there's something like truth, mercy, word, love, um, go incarnation and then see how that plays out, right? Um, and so with physicality and incarnation, this has actually been a very helpful thing for me. And Luther just does this so often too. Or Luther will just say, God is mercy. We'll flip that, right? Mercy is God. Um, not that we worship mercy, but like if you want to know what mercy is, right, you look at God. So God is love. Um, well, Jesus is truth. He is the truth. Um, and so I think at those times where we want to take truth as primarily intellectual, part of the, the truth and love or truth and mercy thing is, as you're saying, Jason, is is real truth is not just intellectual, but it's grounded in the person and work of Christ. And I think that's where Luke's gospel gets helpful again, right? Because what does Jesus do, you know, with this with this truth? It's 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 seldom that Jesus has to say the people he's eating with or interacting with are sinners. It's always other people telling him. Almost always. Right? Don't they're public. It's not like Jesus is like, oh, seriously? Oh, man, this is terrible PR. <laughs> well, I had no idea. Yeah. Um, but to take that to the person of Christ, I think, is very helpful. And then I would just, the second thing I'd like to point out to you, Michael, I don't know if you noticed, did you notice Jason's Coca-Cola there? That's nice. Yeah. It's but exceptionally small, though, is it not? Yeah, you've never seen the little I've never cans. seen those before. Well, I've, yeah. had, I've had them here in the podcast. So you, even you've purchased this or this was given to you? Yeah, I've purchased them. And that's like yeah. to keep your desire under control? Right. Yes. It's to well, if if you have limit my intake, I'll try to remember to put a picture of this in the show notes. But I just, I'm I think I commend you for this because I oh. I always go for a bigger, uh, more. If you unhealthy. have uh, if you have many people in your household of the opposite gender than mm. us, <laughs> uh, there are a lot of sodas that are half drunk. Uh, and this yep. is I think the other reason why this yep. is popular. Uh, this size. Is we that, have this does size. Your wife drink those. Then? Yes, we have this size at our house. Lots huh. of this. I might, I might look. It's less than satisfying. (laughs) That'd be a great, that'd be a great, uh, great advertising campaign. All right. They used to have like they were wide, but they were just literally like halfers. This is a this is a little bit classier. Yep. It it I the coloring even is I'm impressed. All right. 
Can I throw one out there? A, a mini, a mini cherry Coca Cola Zero. That's that's a good. That's, that's a good it. one. Yep. That's a good one. All right, yep. anyway, go um, on. you go ahead. So I want to throw this out, and I I don't. I'm not saying either of you two have done this, but I would say this has a, been a big weighed one, where um, I know it's hard for you guys to wrap your head around, but I can sometimes get really into stuff all of a sudden. <laughs> like I can go down a rabbit hole. Um, and I think uh, this ties into what we were talking about as you were, as you're talking about, you know, kind of all this knowledge on how to apply it. I was thinking uh, as a, as a bicyclist, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of, there's podcasts and there's websites I like to follow that talk about like, you know, infrastructure and civil engineering. And a couple of them have like, they'll joke they're recovering civil engineers where <laughs> like they were really good engineers and they got really into this idea that was going to help traffic and them. But like, they weren't actually like on the ground, mm-hmm. like driving, walking, riding their bike, scooting. I don't know. Pick your mode of transportation, mm-hmm. and um, you know, like how it played out, like was not good. Once you actually had people acting like people do mm-hmm. in those situations, um, and I think this can come up, religion, theology. It can come up in the parish, right? There's always going to be this next big thing. And so I'm in chapter ten. This is the second paragraph of chapter 10 in my text. I'm assuming the paragraphs are broken up the same way. And he says, um, so the, um, the title of this chapter, which is a, a good one, this would be a good band name, The Hazard of the Aesthetic. <laughs> that would be a good band name. Yeah. He says, my plea is simply this. Every theological idea which makes an impression of you must be regarded as a challenge to your faith. Do not assume as a matter of course that you believe whatever impresses you theologically and enlightens you intellectually. Otherwise, suddenly you are believing no longer in Jesus Christ, but in Luther or in one of your theological teachers. Um, One of the most difficult experiences for a theological instructor to combat arises out of the fact that good, respectable theology, by no means only dissolute theology bristling with heresy, and I think this is so true, for the reasons I have mentioned, threatens our personal life of faith. Faith must mean more to us than a mere commodity stored in the tin cans of reflection or bottled in the lecture notebook, whence at any time it may be reproduced in the brain. Uh, and then he goes on, and it's good stuff that he goes on to, but um, I think that um, from a lay perspective, um, we were talking about laity the other day, and it was um, we got to how the laity didn't eventually weren't taking the cup in the sacrament, you know, in the Middle Ages, and then it, we were talking about Jan Hus, and someone thought I was saying lady, and they're like, well, why couldn't ladies <laughs> take the cup? And the answer of why the lady and the ladies couldn't is because they weren't priests. So I, I mean, it still it makes sense, but um, but um, I think um, I remember I would often say in the parish. I have legs, the pulpit, and fat don't, right? Um, kind of joking, like, your pastor's going to leave eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, pop, the pulpit, the font, the altar are hopefully going to be there, or you get nicer ones at some point, right, whatever. But um, I think that that relationship can be that way. I think in a time of um, being bombarded with media, it's just as easy for laity as, as well as theologians to latch on to, to something new. Um, I can we can see this expressed in all you know. Here's now how we should do church, or here's how we should do church. Um, I think for for pastors, 
um, there can be very good pastoral theologies or um, um, or um, homiletical methods and things. And um, right, and I'm saying all these things can be good, and I love that he points that out. Um, for those of us who are doing theology professionally, there can be someone you latch onto as having a particularly helpful insight, but then you can get sucked into like, okay, now I'm like, this is my thing. Um, and he's saying, as a Lutheran, he's even right. You shouldn't do that with Luther. Um, you should, and if you shouldn't do that with Luther as a Lutheran, you shouldn't do it with anyone else. And I thought that was a a good insight because especially um, for those who are interested in continual learning at whatever they are, layperson, pastor, teacher, theologian, um, it can be really exciting when you when you get a new something that opens something up or clarifies something in a way. Um, and as people who have gone through school or, or had pastors or had mentors, it can be really easy to, to want to be like that person. I, I have a sneaking suspicion that, that many, of the, uh, many of us who had Professor Deutschlander at MLC in some ways wanted to, over time, like develop some similar affectations. But at the end of the day, only, only Danny D was going to preach a Deutschlander sermon. Yep. Right? Um, only he could tell the jokes and pull them off um, <laughs> that he told. And, and and I would say there's probably similar things at any school when you have formative people like that. Um, I thought that was particularly helpful. Um, and for all of us who've probably had formative pastors at some point along the way, right, that 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 that, that pastor wasn't catechizing you to be like that pastor um and and you know that or maybe he was in which case this is <laughs> a problem right but um that to be able to have the joy of that thing without losing um sight of who you are and end of christ i don't know if that stood out to any of the others of you but i just thought yeah. that was a something that struck me i think you know it kind of gets into that idea of well and they i mean Synodical conference and the, you know, father theology type of stuff too, where, you know, I think some of that, some of what he's saying um, is that idea of, you know, the accumulation of the knowledge of it, right? The, the formulation of it or some of those type of things and, you know, not really living the application of it as far as experiencing, well, okay, so what, what does that mean now for me? Um, this theological insight, this um, the the teaching, this teaching of scripture and the like, right? And and not only not only that, saying, well, what does this mean for me? But how does this actually apply to other people? I think I think that's another another component of the things that he's talking about here. Oh, um, and I think good. that that and that's something that you know has been um, a temptation. I think since the beginning of the study of theology right you know say well um go to the this person who said this um rather than to say okay well what is that well what about this and what does it mean for me or yeah and on the flip side of totalitizing our experience too because mm -hmm. i think each of us in this room have certain aspects of theology or certain theologians or certain um emphases of scripture that probably stand out 
to us more than to the others, particularly because of our experiences, where we come from, what we struggle with, what our interests are. Right. Um, and on the f- right, we, on the flip side, we can total- totalize that and make that like, well, this is what's most important for everyone, and, and mm-hmm. leave some people going. Uh, uh, why does he care so much about that? And, <laughs> and maybe sometimes it's okay that they don't get it because we all have drastically different Christian experiences. All right, we are at 35 minutes, which isn't bad. But if I'm going to pull the files and everything, we've got about, I would say, eight minutes. Mm-hmm. So I will throw it to either of you if you have other things that stood out to you um, in the text or just riffing off of where we've hit on so far. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I, I would have to reread this. Uh, it's been been a while since we read this, but uh, chapter 11, the first lines there, the man who studies theology and especially he who studies dogmatics might watch carefully whether he increasingly does not think in the third rather than in the second person. You know what I mean by that. I'm not quite sure what he means by that, but I think he's, you might watch carefully whether he increasingly does not think in the third, I think he's saying the third person like being detached from it. I think I think he's kind of getting at what what I was trying to say in the sense of that you know this is we can speak we can speak academically abstractly. about abstractly yeah. about how this applies to him the man you know being impacted by theology that it applies to him rather than well what does this mean for you how does this apply to you mm-hmm. and and i think that's kind of the direction that he's going is saying that instead of looking at this as you know the the reason for these things as a as something that needs to be um applied and 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 chewed on and and worked through um it becomes an abstract exercise rather than a concrete um yeah. reality well and I, and i know you've said to me michael before um, it was back in parish days even, you know, about, I remember talking um, once about, you know, the temptation always when we're preaching the law for us as preacher to make abundantly clear like this applies to mm-hmm. us too. And I remember it coming up in discussion of uh, there's also the place for just you, yeah. you know, as preacher to say, to not always have to like temper it with like, you know, oh, and me too. and everyone else. But the the you and that I think he's getting it there. The the you can be me, but the you also is others. That it's not here's this abstract thing I'm 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 theologizing about. Um, but this is this is something that's God speaking to me as you, but also then to others. But yeah, I think uh, theology then is something that's not experienced or lived, right? which makes sense with the context of kind of like the German universities of the yep. and and. You know, Luther theology, the cross is a remedy to that. And I would also suggest that um, just the first order proclamation kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think uh, this fits with that. Right. Like we, we harp on that a lot. There's a difference between preaching about the gospel and preaching the gospel. And it's, it's a hard thing. It's one of those things that it's hard to define with words, but you know it when you hear it. You're like, mm-hmm. that was about the gospel, not the gospel, right? Yep. And that's the... You know, overall, this this talking to and about young theologians, that is something that I would think would be very rare of a uh, uh, a seminary student getting to his first parish and being able to do that. He is going to speak about theology. He's not going to speak theology. And there's probably no way to solve that other than a few years under your belt. Right. You and know? I do think... Um, 
as far as coming back to this book, probably when you're seven, eight years out or 20, 30 years out, um, we all hit those streaks too where we got a job to do, we got visits to do, we got a sermon to do, and we end up keeping up with that. And I think kind of the, the lack of private confession in modern you know, synodical yeah. conference Lutheranism um, and the um, if we've neglected or if there's not a strong like mutual consolation of the brethren where you're serving in your circuit or your conference um, this can be something that we fall into after a while in the parish too of um, you know this is just kind of this abstract thing and I, I give it to people and really needing someone to speak the you to us, um, not just with law, but maybe especially sometimes uh, with gospel, yeah. right? So I think that can, it can become something that it's good to come back to for um, also, I mean, um, I think even here, you know, we we get into overload semesters and um, James is going to have his first overload next semester. and I'm sure he'll be telling us all about it, you know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but um, it's only three reps. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but you know, you can kind of you can go easy money. Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. He's uh, <laughs> you can go from class to class to class, and then if we've got other engagements, whatever else, you know that it's 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 good when the scriptures in some context or a brother, you know, kind of just stops to make sure, like, you know, this is. You know, it's it's not just what you're here to kind of give as if it's a a thing that's not also yours. And, and and the way that happens is a student comes in and breaks your okay. I got my class, my class. Or if you're in the parish, I got, or and a parent, I'm doing mm -hmm. this whatever. And then a student, uh, a child, a disrupts parishioner comes rhythm. and disrupts, and then you realize why you were doing it. And that's what we say is is how. The parish is the best tutor, and and since we were talking about Daniel Deutschlander, he would he would often tell stories about oh this, I came to church and this this little kid smiled at me and said something, and like God knew I needed that uh, that mm -hmm. day, right? I mean, he was very very open about his weakness and his humil and 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 his fragility. At yeah. those moments. Yeah. My favorite Deutschland moment is still when I was just newly Lutheran and I was out at MLC and um, he asked if anyone, we were talking about the Peepers and he asked if anyone was related to the Peepers and I jokingly was like, oh yeah, I am. <laughs> I didn't know who they were. <laughs> and he got all excited. And then I was like, oh, I don't even know who the Peepers are. I'm sorry. <laughs> he, he had a way of humbling you. <laughs> and uh, and then I learned... Uh, Maybe don't be a smart aleck. <laughs> he used to like to say, uh, "Go light a candle, Mister Johnston." Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. He did. Yeah, he would have been canceled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some. Yeah. Um, it, one, Jason, one uh, thing we'll going give you back last about here, if you have. Well, yet. I was going to say one thing, just back about the second and third person thing that he contrasts a little bit later in that chapter. The idea he said, you know, you know, the first first person who spoke about God in the third person was. The serpent in yeah. the garden, right? Do, did God really say? Yeah. And then, um, and and then Eve's response: Yeah, he, you know, he's yeah, talking. Yeah. You know, um, yes, he said that. And then said, and what a stark contrast that you know, in the darkest moment, 
in this world that anyone has ever experienced, Jesus on the cross forsaken by God, but still in that moment says in the second person, mm-hmm. my God, my God, why have you for, yeah. you know, talking about this, there's a personal connection of person. This is not an abstract consideration. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a, I think a big part of what he's getting at here is that this is something that, you know, um, is easy maybe to, to, to talk about, like mm-hmm. uh, Mike was saying, you know, that it's easy to study about this and talk about this and preach about this. And, but it's also one of the things to actually do this, preach this, live this, mm-hmm. and, speak this. And I think for lady, um, Lady also, or laity? Lady. Oh. To, to hear this. <laughs> it does sound like lady. It does, yeah. <laughs> For laity to to hear it consistently as mm-hmm. a you because that can be difficult to do sometimes when you, you're coming understandably distracted with a busy life or you've got kids you're trying to manage or um, maybe it's not, maybe the you is not being made exceptionally clear in what's being proclaimed even um, to never forget that there is a you um, to uh, what you're coming to receive in word and sacrament. Yeah. Sound For okay? you. Sounds good. We're, uh, so we're about at time. And uh, I'd like to commend you, brethren, um, for what I think was a fun episode. I, yeah. I feel happier than I did. I would, in closing, would any, either of you like to um, perhaps um, send our listeners away um, with a summary theme and parts for what we did today. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't necessarily have that, but I was going to say, I thank, I thank you for the recommendation of taking a look at this book because this was one that I had not okay, come so we'll across Okay, so make that before. the theme. Thank you, Wade, for the recommendation of this book. Oh, I don't think because, we can put thank you, now, Wade, because in, the, part one, in the theme. Okay, this book was worth reading because, what's your first part? Because it, I wasn't very good. At putting <laughs> books up, and I'm a bad boy. And then part two is, um, but Jesus loves me. That's what I found out in this book. So thank you, Wade. Yeah. All right. Gospel. Well, we will Amen. leave up there and encourage you to uh, let the bird fly. Another round, another round, one more round, won't get me down.